Hello, this is a script lock where we talk about storytelling in video games. I am Max Folkman. And I'm Nick Folkman. Today we're going to dive into a topic that has been mentioned in passing a few times on this podcast, but never really explored in full, localization. And joining us to help out with that are Lola Shiraishi and Scott Strickhart. Hey guys. Hello. Lola's producer at Sega, where she's worked on Sonic Mania and Sonic Mania Plus. She's also a gaming consultant and has previously worked in development support at Kojima Productions LA on Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, PR at Square Enix on games including Sleeping Dogs, Final Fantasy XIII, Kingdom Hearts, and she's also worked in localization and QA at Activision Blizzard. Scott is currently a localization producer at Sega, where he just finished working on the recently released Judgment, and before that he was a localization producer on Yakuza Kiwami 2 and Yakuza 6, and an associate producer on Yakuza 0 a senior copywriter and associate product manager at Square Enix working on such franchises as Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts, a product manager at Level 5, and project lead and editor at Atlas. So, start off, how did each of you get into the games industry? And we'll start with Lola. Uh, short answer is I applied. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I started at Activision Blizzard. Uh, it was like a referral it's like, hey, we need people. Can you come help us? It's kind of like a mass hire at that point. But what were you doing at that point? Uh, it's it's them. it's essentially QA, but they do mass hires. For, Activision does like a mass hire all the time. But I would say like the the official way of me, me actually getting into the industry is like uh, since I'm Japanese bilingual. Literally, everyone is like, why aren't you at a Japanese company? You you'd be so much helpful. You have so much to contribute. And at the time, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough, you know. And then yeah. one friend was like, what are they going to do, not hire you? And so literally, I applied and I just got in. <laughs> so I worked at Square Enix <laughs> nice. for a while. What were you doing before QA? Like, were you wanting to work in games? Uh, I was working at GameStop. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was selling games. Nice. <laughs> and what did you go to school for? I didn't go to school. Oh, awesome. I know. I was just... Just me being Japanese. That's the dream. <laughs> Has that ever been a problem with like getting a job? Do they ask for? I think degrees? when you're like, you know, when you're, you know, early twenties or, you know, you always that's always like the first question: what kind of degree I have to have? But in gaming, it's not really about degrees; it's more about what you have to offer, especially with you know a lot of the uh, specific skill sets, even like especially in development, is not quite degree oriented, but what what you actually can you know, produce. So I think it's less of a thing in gaming more so, I think. Okay. And Scott, how'd you get into the industry? I was 24 years old, fresh off of a teaching credential and broke and sad <laughs> before having landed any jobs in the teaching profession. And I was playing in a game called uh, Magna Carta on Ooh. PlayStation 2. Are you familiar with that one? No. No of it. Okay. Um, and I was... I looked at the back of the box and I was like, who makes this? And it was Atlas. And turns, I looked up, I was like, oh, well, where is that company? I hadn't even heard of them at the time and found out that they were literally local. And I was like, so I was poor and broke. And so I applied there as a QA tester, hoping to do that for the summer, as well as as an editor. And uh, they gave me the QA testing job. And from there, I worked up into the editing position. Did you want to go into localization back then? No, I, I thought... I. I thought at the time as I was playing Magna Carta, I was like, someone must write the English for this because I knew obviously the game was made in Japan. I was that that like it kind of dawned on me that localization as a career existed because I was playing a Japanese RPG, you know, and that that 
that was an interesting transition for me because it was I didn't think Magna Carta was all that great, <laughs> neither in terms of the being a game or a script. And I just thought I could do this better, you know, naively. Of course, I think that um, when you when you have a writing background, your first inclination is that I could write better than anything, and that was very much my twenty four year old self. <laughs> yeah, was the job way different compared to today back then? Yeah, I mean the. The localization used to be such an afterthought for so many developers. It was, you know, we made a game in Japan, and I guess then we'll do a, a, a Western version, so to speak, you know. And so, because localization could be such an afterthought, a lot of the times the the files or the the way that you can interact with the with the developer was so limited. You had a lot of just limitations on what you were able to do from a localization perspective. And now I think developers have become so much more aware that their product can have so much more global appeal that, you know, they, they work with us on as games are being developed and we can be integrated into that process and say, oh, that's really not going to work in the Western version. How can you fix that and make it cooler, make it better, make it more uh, make it more able to fit English text or something along those lines? And that, that really uh, has been such a cool thing to, to witness the, the industry kind of take that step forward. So, like, we'll try to cover the basis of localization right now for anyone who's not familiar with it. A lot of people believe that localization is just another another word for translation and only applies to written content. How are they wrong? <laughs> it's localization would be taking content, whether it's written or audible or even visual, um, and adapting it to something approachable or digestible, I would say to someone from a totally different culture or region. Otherwise, it'll be just a culture shock or completely like, what is this? So that's what uh, localization does to abridge that gap and still be able to, you know, um, appreciate the content or relate to it. You know, that's what storytelling is about. So I would say that's that's what I'm in a nutshell. Do you agree, Scott? Absolutely. Just to add to that, I think um, in these days, a lot of people expect localization to be translation. But oh. what happens when you kind of do that is you get this very dry very kind of rough sounding text and no one that's not the author's intent you know everyone's always liking to, to point to being like well i want to i want to hear the game exactly as the author intended it and yes you do but you also want to hear their literal intent not the taking the words the words themselves are not the intent it's the the, the intent of the script the intent of the scene the intent of the character all that's what comes into play when as the localization team chooses their road choices so how do you get to the author's intent? Like, are you always talking to the author, like the team, or is it a lot of intuition on your part? It's a little of both. I mean, we can't ask them every question we have, but you know, it's it, we have a lot of different translators who can look at a scene and, and read into it. And if there's a general agreement on on these translators' part that this is what was intended, then it's obviously something that you know people who speak Japanese can can infer. Um, but Yes, when we are confused, we can easily just go to the dev team. We open up a thread and just say, hey, guys, you know, this scene, this scene, are you saying this, this, and this? And they're like, oh, actually, it's this. And we're like, great. You know, I don't think we would be doing our jobs very well if we had to ask them every time. There, there was very much like a, a level of trust that happens between the dev team and the localization team, especially on a, on a tight-knit project like the, the Ryuga Gotoku team, team that I work on. So these guys are super cool about it. And I think that um, at the end of the day, they trust us to do what's right in the West. Our your experience, like, are a lot of dev teams interested in localization? I think it depends on which team. Yeah. Yeah. So not always. I mean, a lot of my experience is, you know, I'm afterthought kind of yeah. experience. But there's also, like, 
um, when production is happening, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And a lot of times sound or like localization is, you know, in the back end. So they kind of like deal with it as it gets brought up, like, hey, we need to worry about this. And depending on what the, what it is, like where it's at, um, some of the considerations are already decided and it's, you know, kind of hard to kind of reverse that process. But I would say, you know, the ideal is that there is consideration throughout the whole development process. But I think it's hard, you know, especially if you're like a developer, not in the States, for example, you know, have asking them to have the Western uh, mindset in mind is probably not their first thought. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it depends. That can be as simple as like have the, having enough space for English words, or or, or worse, German words. You know, so oh my like God, German. yeah, so <laughs> like the 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 um, Japanese kanji for fire, for instance, is is one character, correct, Lola? Yes. So if they only leave enough room in their UI for one space of characters, then that's how you get English text that looks like F. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, right? I, I I had like um, a phrase like simple as like connect your controller, like connect. Please connect, yeah. and it turned into like seven words in Jap- uh, German. Like <laughs> it, it's kind of like you never expect something to be simple—a simple phrase in English or Japanese—to come up something really, really long. So, uh, you know, don't don't use uh, uh, specific image sprites for a UI, for instance, because you have to make every single character. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When, or the other case that, like, you know, when the old days when they would do, like, you know, fire elemental and you'd have F, you could, we could easily kind of, one thing we used to do is be like, well, can we put an icon there of a, of a little fire thing? So that, right. that would be at least communicating that better than F, I, and T for thunder or whatever, you know, because the more, the more characters you lose, the more confused the players is going to be, right? Do you feel like you, in general, like do you that you have enough time for localization on all your projects, or it does it always feel like you're like <laughs> rushing at the end? I would always, always take more time. I think as as that's kind of the writer in me is very much just like a, I would tweak this for for all eternity if you let me kind of thing. But we do have to ship the game, yeah. Um. So so yeah, I would always take that more time in it, but um, it's a tough balance. You have to be able to, you know, the the audience is waiting for it for the moment from the moment it lands in Japan, and at that point. You know, unless you've got global sim ship, which a lot of companies are trying to hit, some are, some aren't, some aren't there yet. We're not there yet. It it kind of comes down to you know at this point we're late and we have to kind of put the bows on and get it done, but at a level of acceptable quality too. Yeah, I mean it's hard because, for instance, you know it's easy to ask someone like, how long does it take to localize this? But let's say the game is still. Uh, being developed it's not like you have the complete count of how many you know text is in their dialogue is complete you know it's not for sure until the development is you know like okay we're good but as you're like making a guesstimate the localization team is also making a guesstimate like okay we're going to take this much time for this much text but you don't know the context of this text being handled so it's a lot of guessing work and you d- you do your best you know guess of how it's going to fall out and you kind of have to hope for the best on certain times but the goal is to have you know uh, content that makes sense or it's you know correct to the source you know it's 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 a lot of like working together in that point, especially with 
being like a producer here, but then also the local producer has to kind of consider how many people does it take or, you know, how much text are there? What's, what's the difficulty? What's something that we need to consider on, you know, an issue between cultures or something like that? Yeah. Which we'll get into in a bit. Oh but, boy. <laughs> um, as the amount of eyes like on localization work, like especially particularly players eyes that a lot more like armchair localizers has that changed the way you do your work at all i think scott and i's like experience is a little different because his content is mainly japanese to english and to the rest you know yeah uh french german or italian um there's always difficulties in adjusting from that but my content is uh, actually predominantly made in English and then adapted to Japanese and then spread out to the other languages. So the Asian languages will base on Japanese and then the Western language or Latin or, you know, uh, they will base English. So they, there's like a chance of two different contexts spreading out, but uh, we do keep in mind both English and Japanese. So I think how the audience take it is a little different. And sometimes you see a little bit of discrepancy on what the intentions are or like, you know, with things like Sonic, it's a long going franchise, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a brand with history. So there's a little bit of difference on, on when the audience came experience that. From my far off perspective, it seems like I've seen a lot more articles recently about like, being angry about translations. And That's absolutely happening. And it's it's a little, it can be scary at times even, just because it's very easy to say, for, for us to have a very logical, you know, justification for a word choice based on what it means in Japanese, what it what the creator's intent was, that we took, maybe we've even talked to the devs about it. And when it comes down to the idea that it could possibly have changed in the West, whether or not it did, whether or not that intent did, there's a lot of you know armchair criticism that's that's happening, and whether or not that I don't know that that changes our how we do it because we're always out to serve both the product and the audience, which is not always the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But for Yakuza, one of the things I did for Judgment was create literally two subtitle tracks, so that if you played with the Japanese original audio, you had a unique subtitle track that was basically crafted around that in the same way we'd done all the Yakuza titles previously. Whereas when we did, this was one of the first games to come back with a dub, which we knew we'd want to make it sound a little bit more, you know, Englishy, a little bit more like as normal English speakers would speak. And so that, that does kind of branch out a little bit from the, from the original Japanese dialogue in ways that make it sound more natural, more humorous, more, you know, where we needed to push a joke or where we needed to explain something a little more or something along those lines that allowed us to do that without creating dub titles without creating, without hurting the the intent of the original kind of authorship, I guess you could call it. Yeah. I know you talked about it a bit on the PlayStation blog in an interview recently, but was that like a hard thing to, to sell to the team in the game? <laughs> it was a hard thing to sell internally because it was like, why are you going to put this much more work on yourself? Why are you going to put this much work on the team? We didn't budget for this. We didn't allocate for this. I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, and then going to the team, be like, I want to do English and English. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, 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 this is how it's going to work. And they're like, oh, I, I think we can make that work. It's just kind of an extra column here and a, and a, and a switch toggle there kind of thing. I don't think it really put them out. Um, so, I think they so just it was don't really cool. understand. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. like 
when you say like let's let's adapt this into English, they just think there's just one English. I, it's like hard to explain, but the Japanese, like in general, have a specific idea of what English sounds like, or like what an American sounds like. And um, the best example I could give this is um, if you if you watch Shingazella, like、yeah. the Japanese version, like there's that girl that is supposed to be an English or like an American Japanese girl, and her English is very cringy. <laughs> How、and、so? You, do you, did you see it, Scott? I did. Like, In Japanese,、uh, no. No. Well, it's、um, it's in English. Oh, oh, yeah, it's like you. Could, I think you could stream it, but like、um, Ueto Aya is like like my favorite actress in Japanese. But like, first of all, she's not really a native English speaker, so like that、yeah. already is kind of like this chanting of like she's an American government person, and then like she has this overly flair of like. The conversation could be like, "Let's trade information. It's a win-win situation." And she'll be like, speaking in Japanese, and it's like, "Let's trade information." And it's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like you can tell this is like a Japanese person's idea of an American. So I think when you know, like you're in your scenario, like we want English and English, they're just gonna be like, "Why do you want both?" Like, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly how that went. Yeah, it's it's like they don't get it. It's like that's not how we sound. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Sometimes not understand, so it goes both ways with like localization. Is that sometimes they think English is English, like there's a difference of、um, oh my god, there's so much of this.、Uh, let's say you like record a dialogue in English, but then I had this with Metal Gear actually, where there's like an iPod essentially where they、yeah. tell you directions, and she is like,、uh, she's like Australian in Japan,、okay. so she has this unique accent. And like destination selected, and it's like <laughs> we were like, can we not do this? <laughs> can we can we make it less? And then they're just like, no, this is just English.、And、I liked it because it just it fits that world. It's like everything's weird. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's it's kind of like a Japanese take on like what sounds, yeah,、mm-hmm. English. Because like my friend is a flight attendant, and like sh- she's both Japanese English like bilingual, but then. She she just speaks normal English, like you know, just like what you hear. But then they force her to speak in a British accent. Really? Yeah. So it's like kind of like a weird expectation of things. I think it's it's like they have their own idea of how English can sound or should sound, and we're just like,、uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Since you brought Melgear, did you see? Did either of you see the Polygon article that came out today about the Melgear solid translation? From Jeremy, that was incredible. I I, I tweeted about that myself. It was、oh、my God, such a great read.、It. Which Jeremy? Jeremy Blastine. Blastine. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. I don't either. <laughs> He's one of the, like the original, like the OG localization teams. Who, yeah, you know, like this,、oh, like、man. you know, for his. I started in like 2007, and he's talking about how things were in like must have been like probably late 90s. I would guess because Symphony was like 97, Metal Gear、yeah. was like what 99. He's like a one man team. Yeah, a one man team just. Chugging away for eight months with no context, no nothing except the books he was able to to and, borrow, and it's it was an amazing story. And no pay for eight months. Yeah, that that he had a wife and kid. Oh man, with things like Metal Gear, usually they have a team of both native and not.、Um, like things like、uh, at Square Enix, they do have a translation team in house. 
in Japan, but then they send it over to the US side to kind of go over it and stuff like that. So there is a level of checks, but I think it, there is a difference of how people like take that content. And then there, there is always going to be some sort of loss in the cracks of like the intention. And there's a lot of text. There's a lot. Yeah. Like when you just get the files, it's just like, I remember the experience I had for near, which a lot of text. It's like like several it's like a huge binder of text that just like got sent and then this girl just got tasked like translate that and she's just like what? <laughs> I don't know Scott if you have you know Emmy? Yeah. Oh my god, she came back and she's like the life is hopeless. <laughs> like after like 3 4 days she's just like came back and she's just like there's no hope and I'm like what happened to you? <laughs> and you know with something like near it's pretty it's like it's got to take you a lot. <laughs> yeah, I remember translating some uh, video content of Yokotaro, and that was that in oh, itself man. was wild. Just because <laughs> you know, every I think a lot of creators on the Japanese side have a very kind of typical PRish way of talking, and he doesn't. <laughs> oh, he he's he's just straight. Nothing's cut. PR about that man. No, oh, he's, he, he's great. He's he was and he was talking through a sock puppet, which was even more surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Before I forget, I want to ask Scott. Do you guys get to track at all what people choose for like subtitles or what language tracks? Um, we do we do user surveys with all of our products, so you can just you know use the live tile on the PlayStation Four and scroll down and hit that tile, and hopefully people are you know telling us the truth about which one they chose. Um, I, I don't I haven't had to specifically justify this yet, um, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> So how do you balance getting the original content across for a new audience while also adjusting that content for said audience? Like if there are standards and concepts that exist in one culture that don't really exist in the other culture. I know That's... Lola wanted to talk about. Oh my oh. God. It's hard. <laughs> I I always get put in this position where I have to like explain something. It has happens a lot while I'm working on a content. And then since I have to work between a Japanese developer or an american or like western i uh, have a lot of like what does this mean like there was uh so like if i give an example that's kind of broad but uh for sonic mania there is uh, a, a zone that's kind of set in this like arizona desert ish kind of place so there's a little bit of decorations that kind of give that feel and i'm getting instructions from a japanese dev from sonic team and then i'm portraying it to an australian guy and a british guy on what this like image we're going for and i'm trying to give him like all right like i'm in la so i'm like oh yeah like that guy that's selling that poncho that's like bright colored like cloth that's kind of the image we're going for and that's what sonic team wants and and then you know it's like kind of lost to this team where <laughs> yeah. i'm trying to explain and there's another one where it's like they're trying to make this like serene winter area that's kind of based in japanese but then they have no idea what that like feels like they're just going by like google search image and like how about this and i'm like and I'm giving them like really, really deep cut reference image of a very old Japanese cartoon and like, okay, like let's aim for this. But then like since my team is very 
uh, global. And I'm trying to like explain in things that like this is a thing in this area, but then coming from like Japanese, L- you know, Western LA to to someone that's like in neither of those places, it's like I have to like drill it into a baseline that people like kind of understand like okay like imagine you're in a hot area or like i try to drill it down to like a feeling that someone might get but there is depending on what it is it goes it has to be a very long conversation yeah you're doing a lot of culture bridging more so than i am i think (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) yeah for us i mean it's it's essentially just like um Take Mahjong, for example. Mahjong is a game in, in Asian culture that no one has to re- – I mean, I wouldn't say you never have to explain it, but it's it's the equivalent of have you played chess or checkers here, right? Like it, you kind of – it's kind of ingrained in a lot of uh, – yeah, Mahjong's awesome, yo. Yeah, a lot of people play Mahjong, right? But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for our audience, you know, every time we have kind of a, you know, a requirement that uh, in the game, whether that's a sub-story or a, a friendship or something like that, that's like, oh, yeah, go, go play Mahjong at the Mahjong table. There's this like kind of uproar. It's like, guys, why do you keep making Mahjong a requirement? I don't want to deal with it. And we have these G items. You can get through it. You know, it's not like it's impossible. But, you know, there's just this, this hill that people don't really want to go climb because why, would, why should they have to learn this giant Asian-based game? Just to just to complete their their achievements, you know. But it's um, I think it can be it's tough. A tall ask. Though. It is a tall ask, and, like, and it, I mean, like, there's people who don't know the rules of Texas Hold'em, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And Texas Hold'em is also in our games, which is great because they they come they come in like, oh, at least I understand poker. I can get through that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, as somebody who's never played mahjong, it seems impenetrable. Yeah, yeah, and that's the problem. Like, I was I was sitting down to play. Um, Final Fantasy fourteen, which recently implemented oh, Mahjong. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe you guys went through with this. And it's it's amazing. But their their version of Mahjong has a lot of things because it was conceived for a global audience that ours didn't. And you know, you can like hovering over a tile will tell you what the tile is. Or you can even press like a button to be like, what tile should I discard? And it'll be like, ah, oh, this is the tile for you, sir. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so polite and you know and then it'll even be like oh well discarding this tile might be dangerous because the opponent can pick it up and that's all like like next level stuff where i'm looking at it being like oh my god guys guys this is great i mean Um, it's just complicated poker though yeah yeah it is it's it's just complicated poker but it's also i think sometimes what what yakuza what what the yakuza series does have that the 14 one doesn't have is just the intensity of the way the way that a character will declare sumo there's just you know it goes to this little almost heat action cutscene of the guy taking the tile slamming it on the table and be like sumo you know whereas (laughs) you know there's just it's just more a little bit more epic because when you get sumo in in 14 it's just like oh sumo congrats (laughs) do you find yourself struggling with like character stereotypes or archetypes that have no analog here this is a question this is a call right in question from previous guests eric Stirpy and molly maloney oh. who are huge fans of the yakuza series now after <laughs> playing yakuza zero and spent 10 minutes our last episode talking about two scenes they love so much which scenes were those it was the sub story in zero with getting the porn magazine for the kid yes <laughs> and what was the other one it was majima having to go get that toy with for the young girl, oh, that, that was the that UFO was catcher. That one's really yeah. touching. Yeah, both times uh, Molly cried, <laughs> either from <laughs> laughing or just from being touched so much. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the question was tropes. <laughs> uh, like 
character stereotypes or archetypes that have no analog in Western media? I would say tropes are really hard to localize. Yeah, and but you know what? One of the things I think we get to do with Yakuza, specifically because it's set in Japan, is lean into those tropes and just be like, guys, this is a little bit foreign to you, and that's going to be absolutely okay. You know, like if 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 the character is is a caricature of of something in Japanese, we wouldn't want to like take that down or water it down or anything. It's just it comes across as being just really freaking weird here, you know, and, and that's what makes Yakuza like one. Of, that's one of its points of appeal here, isn't it? Yeah, would <laughs> one of those would one of those uh, just weird things that exist in Japanese media be the Mister Libido? <laughs> yeah, that, that I don't think that guy does. That. Is that a trope? Is just the Mister the? <laughs> is that just a weird guy in Japan too, or is that no? That's a, a weirdo character? in Japan. But I mean, okay. you get you do get like on a more like uh, macro scale, like the pervert trope, the guy who's constantly yeah. peeping in on the girls' bathrooms, or you know, like that. Whatever, gonna, yeah. That I don't know that the gyrate as much, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> but do you ever feel a need to explain this kind of stuff? Or just uh, like leave it as is. If there's there's a fine line between like wanting to explain it and not like there's part there's something to be said about you know leaving it there if it's if it's something that you can grasp, but if it's something where you're going to be confused or you're like I don't understand what that means. That that puts the player at, at too much of a distance from the product, I think, where you're the player sitting there being like, I, I don't get it. And that's not the feeling you want to convey. You know, the creator didn't intend for you to not get it. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we make sure that you kind of understand where they're coming from on that on that level? And there's we've got lots of kind of tips and tricks and smoke and mirrors that we can kind of pull, but you know, in voice like dialogue. Or like <laughs> okay, so like the when the 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 since we're talking zero, like that quest where Majima is helping the guy who wants to cross the bridge. Like that's his ultimate dream is to cross the bridge. And there's all these guys like preventing him because they keep attacking him because the back of his stajan says, bring the fights. And this is his goal is just to cross this bridge in his epic stajan. And we had to really, we had to dive into that and explain what, you know, oh, a stajan is a thing. You know, it was, it was a really short one-off little thing. Like, oh, it just means stadium jacket. Or, you know, like in English, I guess you'd call it a varsity jacket or something along those lines, just so people would understand what this idea of a Japanese stajan and why it matters to this man is, you know? Otherwise, you kind of lose a little bit of that context, right? Yeah. Are there any smoking beers that you would use, Lola? I think the best you can do is to just kind of adjust the expectation. I mean, it's half of it is knowing your audience. And, you know, if the audience isn't going to be aware of this is a thing, then that's when you have to kind of come in and help bridge the gap. So it's hard. I, I mean, I have the luxury to ask a bunch of people that's from a different region. It's like, how does this land on you? <laughs> but then, you know, luckily for my content, it's like uh, a lot of it has to be kind of pantomime. And um, a lot of the issues I have is like with Knuckles is because he's a bro. He's not a bro. He's a cool dude. Okay? <laughs> what are your issues with Knuckles? Because uh, I think he's already an established character and certain audiences uh, relate to him in a certain way. And like for things like uh, Sonic Mania Adventures, he kind of comes off comical. But the, you know, uh, the games never go that far because in Jap- Japan, he's kind of this cool, like, bro, like, not in the hey bro, it's more of a <laughs> big brother that's reliable. That's that's literally the localization that happened to Knuckles, I guess, huh? 
<laughs> so he's like a good version of Shadow. I mean, there's a. I mean, it's it's like oh, there's so many like subtlety that you have to kind of dance around with because I I have a problem with like how the American audience is taking a character and then how the original developer wants to take it and how they continue to want to serve it as and then a bridging between those two sometimes it's like a little forceful and then sometimes we have to kind of um settle with okay this is what we're going to say in english this is what we're going to approach with japanese um it's a little you have to kind of be aware that different cultures accept things differently and then you have to serve it differently in a way you know since this one's gluten-free and this one's, you know, dairy-free. I don't know. <laughs> That's a really that, good analogy. That also seems like very expensive. I mean, if you're doing it all at once and like, like for me, I'm, I'm bilingual, so I can just make that judgment on the fly. I think Scott has a harder time because he has to go through a lot more text where Sonic is fairly, you know, here's a bad guy and he's going to stop him. Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot more. It's a little more cut uh, and dry. <laughs> I mean, the the point is to get the context through, not how the context is de- delivered in my case, where Scott has a lot more text to kind of cover. Yeah. It's a lot less cut and dry. It's a lot of discovering motivations. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, there's going to be a tear the shirts off and just battle it out kind of thing. And as long as that sounds manly and cool as it ended, then... We're, we're there, but, you know, there's a lot of dialogue that leads up to that point. Do you have different audiences like Japanese audience or like the American audience taking th- things differently? Kind of what, like what Lola was saying, Scott? Yeah, I think well, Kiryu is a great example because in Japanese, I think Kiryu is a little bit more of a self-insert character. They, they don't give him as much dialogue as we do, whereas, you know, a lot a lot of his responses to things are just, uh... <laughs> which is just kind of like a yeah you know oh, they okay. love ellipses yeah dot, or dot, just dot. straight up dot dot dots right and so sometimes all writers love ellipses <laughs> sometimes it's, you know sometimes we would have to go into Kiryu a little bit more and kind of bring out his character ever so slightly more for people to understand kind of what Kiryu is and who he is and that's not in that's not going against the dev team's wishes because we understand who Kiryu is too. You know, we understand what how he would respond to something, and part of that is just whether or not he does in the Japanese version respond that way. At, at least we know the character well enough to understand what we can, where, how far we can push him or not. You know, and at the end of the day, I think Kiryu in in English is English Kiryu, and Kiryu in Japanese is Japanese Kiryu. But they're very much the same character. They're still very much the same content. It's just you know. We have to give him a little bit more of a of of a personality, I guess, to to make the dialogue shine. It's tough to explain because I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to piss anyone off. Like they added stuff to cure you. This is what I you know. This is like the 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 struggle. You know, like you're, you're where you're talking about that that level of like people who are just you know want that perfect, pristine, authentic authentic experience that is not actually possible. Yeah. Yeah. In Zero, is it Kiru or Majima that says whenever he sees a new move performed in front of him, that's, that's rad. rad? That's Kiryu. <laughs> that's Kiryu. Is that is, a moment that you added then that he just didn't say anything? Uh, in in Japanese, he's saying Kiwamita, which is like a more uh, like I got it kind. Yeah, of Yeah, I got it, or, or like I understand. I got or, it. That's ex- that's ex- like Kiwami is the idea of extreme, which I've you know mastered it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like the more like. 
not normal conversation, but I have I have attained this. Like that's that's the the word ki- kiwami is kind of like that, where it has a little bit of grandeur. Yeah, but I think that's a little different when it's like in English because that's just kind of like weird. <laughs> yeah, the the most the most accurate translation we were able to come up with it was the word extreme, and he certainly couldn't say that's extreme. <laughs> so you know, like he it could. was. Well, he could. <laughs> But I then, love that he says that's rad. <laughs> no, I think I think um so I've played uh Yakuza series in Japanese uh with my dad actually. He loves <laughs> the Yuga Gotoku series. Like he always like every time I go to Japan, like he'd be like, All right, let's go to Kamakura. I'm like, I don't need to go there, Dad. Like <laughs> I understand that's a place like he's like, Oh, this is where this is where they, you know, did the batting and I'm like, Dad, Dad, like you live here. <laughs> I get it. But then, you know, um, I actually played Zero in English. <laughs> my dad is like, actually, so. Your to dad give you sounds con- rad. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, to give you context, like when I worked at Square Enix, everybody was convinced that he was part of the Yakuza. And I'm like, he is not, sir. Like, he's just a normal. Did you tell him that? That's probably the biggest compliment anyone ever gave him. <laughs> uh, he, he, he has this like resting extreme Asian old man look. So, <laughs> and he just wears like hawaiian shirts so like people like are like dude that's exactly what a non-yakuza yakuza guy would say and i'm like um <laughs> but then anyway <laughs> i played yakuza zero in english actually which is um i don't usually play japanese games in english just because there or there's always a point where i feel a little bit of like this is a little off to me just because i understand both languages and i'm like ooh, i i can see what but I have to give it to the Yakuza series, especially like um, I think it was Yakuza Six actually. But um, there's things that is translated and then adapted for like English language, which is really what like like the um, what's the one with the poems? That's six, yes, right? That's six. That was amazing. Like it's hard to because it's like a puzzle solving element with the series of poems, and there's no way in hell you can do that. Like gracefully but it was actually i didn't have any resistance to experiencing that and that just shows that's really good localization happening in front of my eyes like oh so scug good job (laughs) thank you we brought in mason for that oh hell yeah (laughs) inside jokes i'm sorry no this is great second write-in question japanese storytelling and the sorts of stories that yakuza looks for for inspiration shifts tone with far greater speed or range than anything in the West. Is that difficult to deal with? That's Yakuza. I don't know that that's across the medium. <laughs> Yakuza certainly shifts tone. <laughs> wait, that wait, quickly. can you break down the question for me? <laughs> yeah. I need localization for this question. Like, I'm sorry. Going from drama to like well, comedy. Yeah. Definitely Yakuza just like shifting from like super serious dramatic storytelling to wacky hijinks. Yeah. I think that's just like the personality of Japanese people in a way. Yeah. Cause like, I, okay, great example. There is an executive person in our company that's like Japanese and people treat him very seriously. But then when I see him, he's just like cracking jokes left and right. And he's like very hilarious to be around. But then, you know, there, I think the circumstances of who he is is like kind of you have to be on your best behavior. But then he's ready to be like, you know, 
making just dumb jokes and then it's like ha ha you know <laughs> like uh going up to another guy it's like hey i missed you <laughs> and like you know i think in in a way like because some people perceive it as japanese like they might feel like there is a formula of like oh they ha- if it's serious it has to stay serious but then to japanese people they can just switch gears on the fly and you know it's natural for them but maybe it's foreign to someone else that's like used to i don't know they they binge watched grand game of thrones too much or something i don't know <laughs> yeah and for for writing for yakuza that is absolutely we lean into that hard because we love it you know i mean the the ability for that that series to to do that and just turn on a dime and just you know it's all it's total whiplash sometimes and but that's that's what people love about it and so yeah it's it's when we when we see that kind of stuff we we love it too it can be tough to identify when it's happening we're like wait a minute this just turned into some ridiculous scene you know and you know like if you you take the the gyrating dude in, in the club. Maji was sitting there like, you know, having this like moment where he's like thinking through all the logistics of this club. And then suddenly it's like, wait, what the hell is that? You know, I think he says, what's the, what the shit is that? <laughs> you know, and, and for, you know, it's, it, when we're reading the script, it's, it's just as much of a total whiplash for us where we're like, Oh, okay. Something's happening here. Let's go check that out. I, I think they purposely do that though. Cause it's like to break, cause it's entertainment in a way you have to break up the air, but in some people they can, just like focus on the serious things and like there's some shenanigans happening over there, but I don't, I'm not here for that. Or, you know, someone can just be like Honan's like, that is a hilarious, I'm all about this content and just kind of swerve. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of up to the player how much they want to engage with the nonsense. And the, the final write-in question was, or you kind of got into this with the Mahjong uh, description. Yaksa does a great job of showing Japanese everyday culture, city life, etc., in a way that not many other games tackle. And in fact, the Western localizations even do it in a way that feels educational at times. Does that ever require a deviation from the script? And how does the original Japanese team feel about it? I don't think it gets. We deviate much from the script. You know, it's at the end of the day, we our goal is to make it as Japanese as it is. You know, because that's we're, we're the only game I think in the world that's set in a real real life version of japan it's not a it's not a fake fictionalized tokyo 2099 kind of apocalypse thing you know yeah. um maybe not the only game in the world that that'd be a bit of a stretch but i was we're, gonna say yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's i think it has a really good slice into if you were in japan this is what you would see and it's very accurate to what you might encounter that's you why know. your dad's so happy about it oh yeah no, he's just like all about it uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't think they deviate that much. And, you know, I don't want to, like, be on behalf of the team to explain it. But from my experience, when someone is, uh, that's Japanese, and, you know, someone asks, like, what is this thing? How do I do this thing? Or um, is this not a thing over here? Kind of, like, that kind of scenario happens. In most cases, they're very happy to, like, share, like, oh, this is how you do things. This is how it is. Um in more cases, they're more appreciative of like, oh, you want to know how it is, how it kind of works, or this is how we take things. And, you know, there's some, some level of like, oh, thank you for respecting our culture. And I, I don't think I've ever met a team that was just like, don't deviate from my take, uh, especially in regards to like Japanese culture, just because like, this is our everyday. Just take a look at it kind of. Yeah, cool. 
is more of a general question, but like, what do each of you think the what's the difference between a good localization and a great one? I think I just said that with uh, Yakuza Six, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I'm cut this question out. Uh, no, no. I mean, I think it's a great like to kind of expand on it. Is that um, you know a good localization would be something like uh, the context, the you know the dialogue, or what was or the originally the source material is just translated. And the intent is there, but the great one, I would say, um, it, it takes the content and like expands on it so that the user or like the audience get, you know, that same level of excitement or like that feeling, uh, at the end that, uh, maybe a, like a, just a, you know, here's the, here's the direct translation or like here's what we were trying to say about this scene or this dialogue is, um, how it lands, I think, has to do with how what would be a good localization to a great one. Especially when I said about the Yakuza Six, um, you know, those poems are just like most people would be like, ah, poems, whatever. But it, like, can you explain eh. what the poems are for people who haven't played that? Oh, um, uh, so Kiryu is going around town, and uh, what essentially the player has to do is like find these landmarks because there's a whole bunch of landmarks, tiny, tiny landmarks. It's between you know walls or it's yeah. between buildings, and there's these like rock objects that has poems engraved in it, and you have to read it, and you kind of have to figure out. There's clues that's left to you, and you have to kind of reference the poem. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. I'm going by memory. No, yeah, uh, you're 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 spoiling the end of the game here. <laughs> oh shit! I'm so sorry. Oh All no! Good. No, that's that's a very late thing. Is that have, that Kiryu does have to go around and like find poem clues. But in the in the early game, they're just there are these pieces of Onomichi history that are kind of scrawled on stones, and that's that's something that's very popular about Onomichi as a city is that it was these kind of visited by poets who came in and left their mark. So so there's all these different poems that are scattered around the town on these rocks and you, know, you can just go up and interact with them and it, it makes it it makes it so that you know the screen kind of does this little fade out thing and it's very Kiryu uh reads it out loud then has this like you know deep thoughts with Kiryu moment afterward, you know, where he's like, "Oh, I wouldn't mind drinking from this hill as well." kind of thing. Um and so those poems were very carefully translated and to capture not only the, the feeling of a poem, but to also kind of go along with his meter as he read it out loud. So it was a really, really big challenge for us to be able to to deliver that. And even we even changed the way that the um, that they're displayed, where we we throw all this you know beautiful Japanese text up front, and then that that Japanese text fades out, and the English replaces it, so that you get a sense of the the beauty of the kanji of the, how it's written, so that it's not just feeling like you know here's a translation of the English text. You know, we we really kind of went. We went ham on that. <laughs> yeah, it's the visuals. I mean, like calligraphy is a way to experience, you know, a, a kind of a feel. So I think it captures it very well. Well done, Scott. Well done. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and to go back to the to the view, the listener's question, um, the difference between a good localization and a great one also kind of comes down to, I think, humanizing the characters a little bit. If you're just taking the, the base translation of the text and just making it kind of serviceable, like I you can translate any line and make it sound like it's natural English, but you also have to put the personality back in after you do that. And that's the step that I think a lot of publishers don't take because it's, that's where the risk comes in. That's where you're, you're infusing something in, in, into the text that maybe wasn't apparent because it's, it's there. It's absolutely there, but it, the personality is being written by, by 
the dev team who expects that dev, that personality to be communicated in the West, you know? And so if you don't have the personality of it, um, if you're just kind of translating the text, you lose so much personality, you know? Yeah. It's not really something you can kind of content check for, like QA it, because yeah. you need to have someone that's like knowledgeable about both contexts, English and Japanese in this case, uh, you know, and you're clueless if you're just, you know, oh, I can only speak English. And so when something is provided that's from Japanese, you have no way to, like, fact check that kind of intent or, you know, oh, here's the character with this kind of quirk. There's so many bad examples out there that it's kind of hard, but, like, yeah. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> yes. oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. No, I was, I was just going to help Lola out there. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, like, we're both struggling to be like, don't mention anything bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got to say, like, you know, okay. We can bleep this out. Huh. It's just like, okay, for the like, context for us, like, Scott, did you see? I have not played that yet, but I'm super, oh, oh super my God. hyped to do it. Oh my gosh. Or I guess you could say from where they, they decided to go with this very, like, we're going to like give her this very specific way of speaking and accent almost and to mirror whatever she was doing in the Japanese or not. And, you know, so you can do that, but if it affects the readability or the, the readers, the player's ability to parse that text, it, it ends up hurting it more than it helps, you know? Yeah. So you, I feel like it's become more of a trend of using accents in games to denote different regions in Japan. Not against it at all. In fact, I do it. Okay. <laughs> we have, we have a, a way of committing texts to uh, oh, our yeah. games that both yeah. captures Kansai dialect and a different way for a more country style Fukuoka or uh, Hiroshima accent, you know? I think um, he did a great job on Majima, for well, sure. Well, thank you. Um, He's my favorite he, character. He, <laughs> we, but it's important not to be able to, to map it to a specific accent in the target language, you know? Like, if like the Kansai dialect is characterized by being, you know, fast talking, a little looser, a little bit more friendly, friendly or charismatic, I guess, a little bit more off, off, off the wall. Um, and so, you know, for, for us, when we, when we characterize that in English, it's, it's, we chop off letters. We're, we're using, we're using more colorful language. They swear more, um, you know, so it's a little bit more, it's, it's trying to capture the way that they talk less than trying to map it to a specific dialect here. And, and that's to, to, only some success, I think. Some people still think Majima sounds like he's from the South or has a Texan accent, but I've also heard people be like, I think it's kind of New York, and I'd rather have people argue about where it's from because it's not supposed to be from yeah, anywhere. They, they can't place it. It's There's no direct translation or like yeah. an equivalent to that, but I think it shows very... Um, like The way that Majima is written shows the his personality and how his kind of his quirks are, um, and you know his the way he... like talks to Kiryu is like just the way that I would hear it in Japanese. So it's, I think that that's like the important part where he's just kind of obsessed with Kiryu. And so it, that shows really well in that way. <laughs> I mean, he's obsessed. I'm just saying. Kiwami. Yeah. <laughs> obsessed. You had mentioned trying to match like the meter of the poetry when you're translating before. And mm -hmm. then maybe think about how, what do you think are like the hardest localization challenges that people don't expect. Like when I was reading that Metal Gear Solid article today, he mentioned that because Japanese word order is reversed from English, he had a really hard time matching the words to the cuts and dissolves in the cutscenes. Oh yeah. Which sounds like a nightmare that I would never think about. <laughs> yeah. Especially back then. Yeah. Um, 
for judgment, one of the things we did with the English dub was we, the Japanese line obviously has a, a, a meter to it as well. And it, the cuts are already made. And when we recorded the English, we were finding that a lot of the, the English dialogue that we had written was coming in well under what the Japanese had done. Cause there's all, the Japanese has a lot of exposition and dramatic pauses and, you know, whereas English, we tend to say what we mean, you know? So the English version of that game is probably like, at the end of the day, like 45 minutes shorter of cutscene, just because it was, we cut out so much of the tail ends of camera cuts to make it fit the English dialogue. So the, like coming into that, that I did that kind of personally and the, the way that we had to like match the, the way that this character would, where they were going to hit it, if where they turned, where they, where they, where they shrugged, where they bowed, where they nodded, like all that stuff had to hit with the right cadence on the English side in order to make it sound natural. And at the times we'd hit like these super challenges where like, oh my God, there's no way to fit this English back into this part. And we'd have to get the dev team to like help us out with like kind of editing the, the, the cut in a way that would make it at least somewhat workable. And, you know, hopefully that all came across without any issue, but at the same time it was, very nerve-wracking. <laughs> that is fascinating. Was there anything that you would think of, Lola? What, with, like, dialogue? Oh, my God. Like, I mean, it's a little off, but, like, one of the things I had to do was uh, I worked on a dating sim. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as always, <laughs> there's a lot of dating sims out there. Um, They're all great. <laughs> it's for a, a game called Rune Factory. <laughs> You yeah. worked on Rune Factory? I, which what? You worked on Rune Factory? Rune Factory 4, baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's coming on Switch soon. Wow. <laughs> Plug in there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, recording that is kind of similar to, like, anime, and there's a lot of uh, uh, voice actors that's kind of familiar with the process. So, you know, they take in account for, like, lip flaps and stuff. But then it was a DS game that What I are flip flaps, for those who don't know? Lip what? flaps. What are flip flaps for lip, those lip, 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 lip flaps? Yeah. When when uh, the visuals um, show a character moving his mouth or his or her mouth, and you know, in a way, it ha- have to match that movement of the mouth a little bit. In the uh, Japanese, in the English, you have to make them fit into Japanese lip flaps, which is a nightmare for all of us. Yeah, writers. you can't do it. It can't be done. <laughs> it can't be done. It's impossible. Which is why Judge has some scenes that are lip flapped and some scenes that are not, and you can kind of tell which ones do and which ones don't, but. I think, you know, more power to all, my whole team who is pouring our, our hearts into making sure that at least it somewhat worked. <laughs> I think yeah, I think you have to pick and choose your battles on that one. You yep. really do. You, yep. it, it just doesn't. So for Rune Factory, one of the difficult challenges is that it's a DS game. So everything has to fit in that DS cart, which is an incredible size. And so I have no give on the audio files. And uh-huh. so... Bottom line, it cannot exceed the original Japanese files. So that means I have to be creative on first certain dialogues that are just kind of like one word in Japanese and it's a sentence in English. And I'm like, oh, no. And, you, and I have to be like, all right, we don't have space. It's about a second long. You have to do this sentence in a second. And it's some, and, and I have to do my best not for that person to not sound like, it's just, just. You know, it's it's most of the dialogue is kind of like, you know, audio blurps that kind of happen at the beginning of the dialogue where it's like, ah, hello. Hey, and it's like an endless count of those. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes there's like, I'm sorry. 
or like you know it's it's kind of a it's the goal is to kind of set the tone of the dialogue so that's how you kind of get away with it but sometimes it's just kind of oh man how we how we how is this going to do <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of related this is for scott but also i want to hear lola's take too as a producer oh no uh scott is there anything that you wish development or production did differently that would make your life easier <laughs> like for lola is there anything that you wish localization would do that could make your life easier oh man <laughs> like it's it's really hard to ask that of the of this dev team who's already bending over backwards for us like i this is the coolest and like most involved in the localization process of a dev team that i have ever worked with because i think they get it they understand that what like what we need so to speak so it's it's it almost feels like like you guys are doing great but if you could do better <laughs> like what are they doing that no one else is really doing that should be everyone else should be doing we're involved we're involved before we're seeing the game before it's done we're seeing the game as it's coming to fruition we're being able to opine on certain things and be like uh you know what what you're doing with that text box is probably going to be really difficult for us can you please make that a little bigger can you get word wrap in here can you do this this or that can you you know, English players use X for this instead of circle. Can we please take that into consideration? Um, all that stuff that we're able to spot before the game even gets built, gets, you know, integrated into the game as the Japanese version, which is incredible. I think most localization teams don't even get to start on their product until it's basically baked in Japanese. And at that point, you know, it's it's a giant overhaul or a spec change that's just going to be super difficult to implement to make it more Western friendly. And, you know, so I can't, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about this team at all. And they've been so, so helpful. And if I had to pick, I guess, <laughs> any one thing that general localization teams or, you know, dev teams can do would just be to keep the fact that you have to have the product localized or intend to have it localized in mind, you know, because a lot of decisions are not are made without considering the fact that an English team is going to have to deal with it. Like how much of a hassle is it to get, the localization team involved earlier it's a hassle like they, it, they... it's it's a lot um because i think the general public doesn't understand how much work goes into when it comes to localization um i, I don't think the... they understand most of the work that goes into most of the development <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's okay so like you know we've been giving a lot of examples of english japanese but i could tell you one thing about like you know other languages like you know I have to release content in like a lot of like I think I have to do what eight nine crazy but I have a lot of uh work I have to do especially for Chinese in some in some releases I have to really review the game content and if there's any instance of English letters then that needs to be changed and that's like an extreme con- uh example of things um and you know, you, you're never going to know these kind of things. <laughs> like I, unless you, your team like just has a bilingual English bilingual person on Japanese, Chinese, G- German, Italian, French, like it's almost impossible to call out things from the get go. It's, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's like an ideal uh, uh, scenario maybe, but like, you know, Things like that, uh, Scott mentioned, like, oh, can we use X instead of circle? Um, can we use more text here? Because it's a thing that doesn't exist in English or, you know, can we have more allowances here? Can we, 
not do uh, a girl in this kind of clothing. You know, uh, that's that's a lot of consideration. And I think there's a varying degrees of extremes that uh, we would have to take in account. And again, like I said earlier, you know, like especially just going with every text, and, like not just dialogue, but things like UI or um, uh, anything that goes into a user's view. You know, sometimes those aren't really solid. And then while the game is being made, there's maybe changes or decisions to move things around or cut. And so with all of that in consideration, it's a very, very difficult task. And how um, Scott's team doing it is just pretty like, oh, man, I'm on the other side of the boat. Like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough because the dev team is busy building the game. Why do they want to think about, you know, text conversion or, or that kind of thing at that point, you know, it's, 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 they're already on a, every developer's on a, on a schedule. Right. And so, you know, taking their time away to talk about, well, can you change the text here is, is it's a tough ask. So it's, it's, it's interesting that this, this team has made so much time for us and, and also just really cool. And then, it makes it, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Just to go back to Lola's point about how, like, you know, having integrated JDE or, or wherever language to whatever language kind of people, um, it's we're not we're we're obviously doing this localization in the states. Uh, I think some publishers like uh, Square Enix, like Lola was saying, do it you know right next to the dev team, which is you know at some point the, the localization team gets integrated into the dev team. You know, so like for for our team to be doing this like that is 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 really cool. And I'm sure that you know at Square the dev the localization team's right there, kind of looking over shoulders too, being like, wait, 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 you know that kind of thing, and. I think that it's an interesting approach because obviously being able to work like look literally go over to their their desk and say something is is would be a huge benefit um, in terms of like just making localization pipelines cleaner, but also you know being able to work with real with people who are living in the target language is also another way that the text yeah. comes out more authentic. So there's there's gives and that. takes for for where where the localization team is located. That's just something I wanted to to put out there. Good. Lola was right there that you wanted localizers to do that could make your job easier. I think because I'm bilingual, I take accounts on like things that are like, if something uh, is like a a potential flag, I would always immediately be like, Hey, can you, can you give me like a a gut check on this? But I also like, I'm lucky because my texts are fairly predictable, but I, I do try to kind of, give the earliest heads up um you know i i hit up our localization department and be like hey here's how much i'm expecting um i need some something like because i'm bilingual sometimes i'll get like hey you can handle it and i'm like how about no <laughs> <laughs> i have to take care of other things um while i can and cap- i am capable but i also like to sleep sometimes yeah you know <laughs> give me we'll a get help. to work like balance in a second <laughs> I'm going to hit us on myself, sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it, it would be a good habit for production teams to consider that early on, just so that, you know, they don't have to cry at the end of the production of like, oh my God. But it's hard, you know, with considerations that things are still not final, but giving like, here's the tone, here's the path that the, you know, the content might take. Give me, give me some, you know, Heads up, if anything comes up, I may not be aware of it. Like being, you know, like, hey, I don't know how this sounds in Korean. Give me, give me a heads up is like totally fair to have um, whenever you find out. And 
that's that's like the best I could do on my part. But like for localization, you know, I think one of the things that is a, a problem is how you share that information because it's it's usually like an Excel doc, and you know, it's just like here's three different versions of it back at you, and that's where we have the most mistakes. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's how to approach it. I guess I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's a good answer. <laughs> Since you mentioned it also, like when you talked about your friend who was like one woman translating that huge oh, stack it. of papers, then also the Metal Gear article, it sounds like localizing can burn you out super quickly or just <laughs> degrade your entire psyche. So how do you maintain a healthy work-life balance doing it? Um, it's all about planning. If like, what, why, The reason a lot of that burnout happens is because so, – the game gets decided to be localized before anyone has actually counted the text. So let's, yeah, we work in Japanese characters or, or the abbreviation for that is JPC. So like, let's call the average RPG a million Japanese characters, even though these days I think it probably trends a little higher. And then you've got to know, well, what can a translator and an editor, or, or if you just have a translator work, how fast, what is their day? What is their daily output at a healthy balance at a healthy rate? And, you know, uh, I don't know if you know Jessica Chavez. She's the... I knew you were going to see it. Yeah. So she's she's <laughs> yes. like the... Yeah, that, that, that uh, poll she did. Yeah. She's like one of the... So just, just to give you context, she's she's a freelance localizer um, who probably is best known for her work on Trails in the Sky, which is, I think, probably one of the biggest uh, JRPGs in the history of JRPGs. Um, and it was like, no one... Clearly, when when they were working on that project, no one had estimated well like you know we just well can we get it done by whatever date and it's like sure and then you sit there and you're like this is actually not possible and so she did this twitter poll of like uh how fast can you work how many what's your rate how how fast how many jpcs can you churn and the majority of of the responses to that and what we consider the industry standard is three to five thousand jpc like five should be your upper threshold Three would be like a, a tough day at the at the office because you're stuck in meetings and or or on a really really difficult file and of course the the structure of the files and, and the the structure of the the way that it all kind of comes in the, comes out is is another key factor in how fast you can go obviously so the the idea being that though that if you know how much text you have and you know that you want to hold your your translation team accountable for three to five thousand JPCs a day then you should be able to do the math to determine well gosh how fast can we do this game. Uh, and that's that's the right way to do it. Whereas looking at it and then just saying, I'm going to throw a whole team of people at this and you're just going to churn it until it's done. I need to release this game in December. So you need to have it done by August so that we can put three months of QA into it uh, and then release. Like that's insane. That's that's how you, that's a surefire recipe for disaster. If you don't know how much text is in the game and you don't know how fast your editors and translators are going to work or how many people you can allocate to it. So that's how we maintain a work-life balance is by knowing those factors. How do you know those factors when you're starting out? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be able to count the text. You've got to be able to ask the dev I think team. It's like, like a like jumping into double dutch. You're like that. Be willing to like to push back against the devs who say like, no, you you're going to do this right. You're going to do all of it in this time frame. You're like, no, but I mean, there's there's a there's a point of like, oh man, the deadline to you know mastering is here yeah and we have x amount of time and we have you know x amount of people um because i think there is a little bit of benefit on splitting the workload 
So having teams is great. Um, having people kind of, cause if you're just translating, you know, you're just only going by your single experience. Localization, I think benefits if you have a little bit of more background and, and perspectives, at least to get kind of a gut check on like, okay, this sounds good, but it's also kind of a pitfall of if you have too many people, there's a chance of breaking consistency. Yep. And things like where someone is calling an, or calling or referring to something one way and it's totally like a different person in the next scene, which is not uncommon to happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to manage that work life balance, uh, especially in localization because like Jess is, is like, a big offender of like being able to balance it. She'll always talk about how she's like, ah, it's, you know, just, just gotta do it. And I'm like, Jess, can you, can you go to sleep? Like drop, <laughs> drop the bottle down. Just, yeah. she's, I mean, she's also a mother too. So it's like, I, I don't know how she does it sometimes. Cause I'll be like, Jess, are you okay? I can <laughs> do 10,000 JPCs in a day because I have 11 years experience. I know what these characters sound like. I know what this game sounds like. Yeah, you have content knowledge. Like. I have such such ridiculous content knowledge that I can do that. But that's I would never hold my team to that either because that is an absolutely unrealistic expectation. So it's important for freelancers and other localization crews to cap themselves a little bit to be like, guys, this is the content I can do. But, you know... Uh, that's that's asking a lot of them too because they want the work. It's not fair to them to say, "Can you guys lower your rate a little bit, please? Can you try to make the professionals? I mean, not the professionals. You know, the the what are what are we? The full timers? You know, not look <laughs> not look sad by by the, by saying that this is the industry standard rate. You know, because a lot of the the freelancers end up ha- like being by some circumstance or another, maybe by taking on more than what more projects that they can handle or taking on. I mean, they're hustling. They're hustling, yeah. right? So you know, it's. They, they have to kind of work at a rate that's a little bit more, I think, unfriendly to work-life balance. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I assume, like, it's not going to improve as technology improves, like, the 10,000 or 5,000. Like, you're not going to get much higher than that. I mean, you know, there's people who would say something like, oh, we can, you know, use a little bit of, like, technology machine, to... Machine um, learning. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that's a big trap i would say because like i said a lot of things that uh we work that are always the pitfall um when come when it comes to localization there's things that doesn't exist in another language and like it 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 needs a human to the machines make that... aren't ready to take over our jobs yet yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> i mean there there's even even humans have you know, problems detecting certain thing that was intended. You know, I always, I'm always finding things that are like existing in normal life. Like I'm watching something or I'm seeing something, I'm reading something and I'm like, this is not localized correctly. And I, I always feel bad because I'm like, I got to be the Debbie Downer. But, <laughs> but then, you know, that's, that's, that just shows, you know, like humans even have difficulty catching intent, catching, you know, what, what the dialogue is supposed to deliver or, how it's supposed to be presented is a little, you know, d- and the different. faster you're going, the worse it's going to be. Yeah, it's 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 like there is a limit. Got to go fast isn't true. Wow, <laughs> you do got to go fast. <laughs> Just got to go fast and stay. I've been betrayed by my yeah. own brand. <laughs> <laughs> no machine though can write knuckles in the right broy way. Oh God, <laughs> my, my baby knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> 
We do have, on our side, we do have cat tools, computer-assisted technology, stuff that helps us with that kind of stuff. But you're right. Like, it can't do everything. It can query databases. It can look for lines that are, that previously existed. It's it's really coming along in ways that even I feel old because I'm like, I don't know how to run this thing. Can someone show me? Like the reference tools are great if it's like something like, oh, like for um, Scott, I, w- I would assume like there's things that are referencing like what, what's consistently used. Yeah, we can add terms to things. We can make it look up previous Yakuza games. We're like, oh, how do we handle this? What is What was this in previous Yakuza? You know, even even to the point that we can be like, oh, that's a that's a restaurant. We know what that is already. Or that's this is how we localize that piece of food because food's one of the most difficult things to localize because it's, you know, do you call it a beef bowl or do you call it a... a Gyudon, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I got you, man. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> How do you decide on that? Um, kind of, it's case by case. Everything, you know, it's people ask like, well, how do you make that decision? And it's always kind of like we have to look at it from from all angles and understand that. Well, is this is this word in the in the English lexicon? How many people will use it? How many people kind of understand it? Given, is there a description underneath it that will have it? Is there a picture that's right next to it that would say, oh, okay, I recognize that as a beef bowl, even though you call it a gyudon. You know, so yeah, like, like there's there's all kinds of considerations to make. With those kinds of decisions, what was the longest time spent you ever had to spend making those kind of decisions? Oh my god! <laughs> you have to say what it was for. I just want to know. Uh, a great example would be the the antagonist of judgment is called the mole, and. <laughs> When you say that in English, right? What is what is a mole in English? It's it's a secret agent. It's someone on the inside, right? Yeah. But of course, that's not what it is. It's it's literally called that because he goes underground and hides and then claws out eyeballs. <laughs> and like, oh my God, you're literally making this guy like a literal mole. And I had you know team members on my team being like, we can't call him the mole. That's ridiculous. People are just going to get so confused. And so they were writing around it for the longest time, just like, you know, let's just call him the killer, or, you know, the murderer, the 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 perpetrator, that kind of thing. And at the, we hit this line of dialogue that was like, the the reason he's called the mole is because he you know claws claws his way out from underneath, and it's like, how are you going to explain that? How are you going to write around the fact that it's literally talking about him being a mole? So I had to put my foot down and be like, guys, it's the mole. Let's live. Let's deal with it. <laughs> you just opened the game with the definition of mole. Yeah. Just beat the head. <laughs> this reminds me that Dunkirk opened and had like act cards, and one of them was like the mole. So for the most part, I was like, man, are they going to have like a, a spy in this movie? Like, oh, it's that guy. That guy's the mole. He's a spy. It's like, no, mole is just like a wave break term. It's, <laughs> it's like, like a peer. Yeah, it's written. a peer. <laughs> it just confused me the entire movie until I had to go read about it afterwards. Yeah, wow. at the end of the day, I think it's fine. Like people got that we weren't talking about a, a secret spy. And it he makes it pretty clear that it's talking about an actual mammal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have called him Mole Man. Y- yes. That's copyrighted. Diglett. <laughs> Man, what it I would what if a serial killer was named Diglett? <laughs> um I kinda talked about this a little bit on and off, but like I wanna know if there's any more to it. Like you talk about how some studios bring in localizers early on or later, and like some are in-house, some are outside. But are there other ways that studios tackle de- localization? Like in your experiences, the different studios you've worked for, have they tackled localization different ways? Or is there a different theory that they each take? I mean, there's there's philosophy of localization across every team, every every publisher, every um, 
producer has a, has their own like how close we should stay to this, how how far we should deviate from that kind of thing. But in terms of like actual like process of getting the job done, yeah, it still is always going to take X amount of humans to do X amount of JPC by X time. You know, those are the three factors, right? Yeah. But using editors isn't common, is it? Oh, I see what you're getting at. Um, you're right. I think a lot of a lot of publishers don't rely on the editing method because um, they they want to find a translator who can just do a single pass and call it a day. But we do have editors, and that's that's where I got my career started. Because, like Lola says, I'm not Japanese fluent. You know, I write the I write final English, and not necessarily. Uh, Wait, can you say that again? You don't speak Japanese. Yeah. Did, is that, did we not get to that point? No, we did not. Oh. Oh, yes. I don't speak uh, – well, I won't say any Japanese. I understand more than I let on and I try to keep it that way. Um. <laughs> like is that – can you get a job localizing something and not knowing the language that you're localizing from? No. No, okay. I am an absolute fluke, and I don't deserve the position I'm in. Wow, wow. <laughs> no, I think um, there's a difference. Uh, like earlier, I was just telling you, I can't say certain words because I, I can't form my mouth and tongue in a way that pronounces it correctly. But I think being bilingual and native to a, a certain language um, doesn't necessarily mean you can edit, you know, in yeah. a it, that's like supposed to be ah uh, i i would say edited in a way that's like it it feels natural to you know english speakers or readers or audience that's where the writing background comes in i have a writing background and so for me to come in and write and put text in that's meant to be written well written you know not all translation is is good writing you know so it's important i think for for everyone in, in the localization industry to have a, a, some level of writing competency but you know just because you're bilingual doesn't mean you're a great writer in either language. You could, or you could be an amazing writer in Japanese, but only have a rotary grasp of English, right? And so that's those are the type of times that an editor should be brought on to come in and help and clean it up and make it really nice. And an editor should absolutely have the the competency in the source or the target language. Do you want to end it there? Do you want to ask one more question, Max? Um, I have one more question, but it's a joke question that I want to get on the record with Lola because she's a representative of Sega. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Knuckles. Oh, no. <laughs> his dead dreadlocks. This is a question that we have with our friend Jolie Menzel, who's a... Oh, Jolie. Yeah, so <laughs> oh, Jolie, Jolie works at Ubisoft, and we have talked about this multiple times in person, but the dreadlocks of Knuckles, are they fleshy, or are there bones inside of them? Or are they no, quills? Are they hair? Or are they hair? It's, it's just hair. That's a good note to end this on. So um, how can people find both of you on the internet if you have like Twitter handles or anything you want to plug? Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at Chibi Lola. Um, I think most of my social media is that. Scott? Oh, I am at Trigger Red. Trigger at – sorry. Let me start that over. (laughs) At Trigger Red, T-R-I-G-G-E-R-R-E-D-D. You can find this podcast on Script Lockcast on Twitter. Our art was done by Lily Nishida, and our music was done by Isabella Ness. And that's the show. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you. It's for been awesome. Us. This is great. Thank you. <laughs>